In this episode of Julius Bear's True Connections podcast, Alan Hooks, head of private clients at Julius Bear International, speaks with the chairman of Formula E, Alejandro Agag, about his journey from politics into entrepreneurship and what trends he sees for the future of motor racing and the wider world. Alejandro, great to have you with us today. I'm really looking forward to catching up with you on today's podcast. I think, I guess for our listeners, it'd be really good to hear from you, firstly, really, about your career and your story as an entrepreneur. I mean, when we look at your career, it's been incredibly varied. Politics, sports, telecoms, financial services, to name just a few, and more recently, Formula E. It'd be great for our listeners, I think, just to give a bit of a background on that. And also, in particular, what gave you the inspiration to establish Formula E? Yeah, sure. You know, it's a pleasure to be with you this morning, and thank you for having me. It's been quite a roller coaster this year. But if you look at my career, probably we start about 30 plus years back. I was in university where I did study in the school in Spain and in the United States. And then I went to University of Madrid. And while I was in university, I already got involved in politics. So from that age, I was very, very interested in politics. That was really my passion. And yeah, I started working in the youth of the political party in Spain, which I was more ideologically close to, which was Partido Popular, the, the center-right party in Spain. And, and when I finished university, I did a degree in economics. I directly went to work in politics professionally. So I went to Brussels, first administrative position in the parliamentary group that we had in Brussels in the European Parliament. From there, we won the elections in Spain. I was very active during the election campaign and so on. And I was 25. I went to work for the prime minister as one of his three personal assistants. And then from there, a few years later, I got elected to the European Parliament. And then I got also elected as Secretary General of the European People's Party, which is the coalition of center-right parties in the European Parliament. And at the time, you know, we had the CDU from Germany. Helmut Kohl was leading at the time that party. And then Angela Merkel. We had the French party that well, at the time was Sarkozy and so on and so forth. And in Britain, what we had the Conservatives at the time, they were part of the European People's Party. So I did that for a few years, and then actually I decided to stop politics when I was 32 years old. I got married, I decided to change a career, and that's when I got involved in motor racing and in consultancy and advisory and financial services. So I did both. While I was in the European Parliament, I was specializing in antitrust policy, so mergers, acquisitions, regulation around all those topics. So I started advising some big corporations on that, and yeah, at the same time set up my own fund management company, and also started doing business around motorsport. I had a good friend, Bernie Eccleston, and Flavio Viatore that I knew from before, and with them we started doing some things, uh, interesting things around television rights in Spain, and then, you know, getting into more into racing. And slowly, slowly, that's where I put on my attention. It was really a lot more fun. That, you know, of course, it's also fun to, to advise you to compete operations on their M&A strategy and on the antitrust strategy, but it was more fun to be motorsport. And that's where I started spending more and more of my time. I bought my GP2 team at the time, Barwa Adax, which we did very well with, and also started doing deals around sponsorship and many different things in, the, in all the different kind of areas of motorsport. I became active. And then after that, with Bernie and Flavio, and also with our Indian friends and partners with the Mittal family, we bought a football team in the UK, Queen's Park Rangers, and I was, for a while, I was a chairman, and then I was a, the managing director of the team, and we brought it to the Premier League, which was great. 
and then we sold it. And then, then it was shortly after when, in a conversation with John Todd, the president of the FIA, we came up with the idea of Formula E. And I think that was really, for me, I thought that was really the next big project for me. I always believed in sustainability action and in new technology that can help make the world a better place. And I thought that there was a unique window for motorsport to do something really that could be a game changer. And that's why I was so motivated to push the project of Formula E, which was not easy. Of course, in the beginning, it was very difficult because many people thought it was not going to happen. And, you know, luckily, we found some partners along the way, like Julius Baer, that was with us from the beginning, and others that thought this should happen and we should try to make it happen. And then, you know, with their help and the help of many people, we managed to do the first race in Beijing. And from there, you know, we just finished season six, which sounds really amazing. So, yeah, so that has been my quick summary of my career, a few turns and twists, and, yeah, and here I am about to turn 50. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess I still have some years to keep making trouble. And Alejandro, I mean, particularly for entrepreneurs and business owners that are listening to this conversation, your experience certainly may not be similar to theirs, but they will have had an experience of a number of different industries, different types of businesses. How have you drawn on some of your experiences, politics being one, to help you sort of create the blueprint for success that you've had in not only Formula E, but some of your businesses? Have you pulled some of those things together and used them to your advantage as an entrepreneur over the years? Well, I think my experience is a bit different from the regular entrepreneur. And probably what makes it more different is my previous background in politics. And I think politics gives you a quite unique set of skills. It's a very complicated profession, and I think it's a very, at the moment, how would I define it? A very unfairly treated profession in a way. And that's why also it's probably not attracting probably the right people to it. I mean, some of them, of course, they do a person, huge personal sacrifice and decide to be in politics. But right now you can have a much better life. You can make a lot more money. You can have a lot more, let's say, I don't know, prestige or appreciation being in other professions than in politics. And I think that's a big mistake that our society is making because politicians are the ones who basically have more influence on everybody else's life. So we need the best people there. But what politics gives you is probably a skill to be able to make a lot of different people with different agendas agree on some common strategy or direction. And I think that's applicable to anything, and especially companies with a lot of different stakeholders or ventures with a lot of different stakeholders that you need to bring together to put everyone on one direction. I think politics helps you a lot to do that. And in a championship like Formula E, you have so many different interests and agendas. You have the teams, and actually even the teams don't have the same agenda. Each team has its own different agenda. You have the sponsors, of course, the partners. You have the broadcasters. You have the shareholders of the promoter company. You have the federation, which is very important, the FIA, that owns the right. So you really need to be able to understand where everybody's interests are and try to find a way that satisfies as many of those as possible to keep everybody on site. And I think politics really gives you that experience. There are other ways of doing things, but that's the skill I learned when I was in my 20s, and that's the one I've been mainly using. And, you know, it's, yeah, so far it's worked. I'm fascinated to hear, Alejandro, about your move, I guess in particular into motorsport, which at the time was seen as quite disruptive, but you've never been shy on taking on existing business models. And I think if you look at an industry such as motorsport, which requires huge amounts of capital regulation and is, I guess, full of well-established players, what sort of advice do you give to entrepreneurs who are thinking about breaking into markets or industry which are you know, ripe for disruption and need that change? You talked about your passion for sustainability earlier. 
But what do you say to business owners who are in a similar situation to that? Well, I think we are living in a time of certain trends, mega trends, I call them, or most kind of like the main directions where things are going to move in the future. And it's very difficult, or I think for me it will be very difficult to be successful with any venture that goes against those mega trends. And for me, clearly, the climate action and sustainability is one of them, probably the most important one, because it's necessary. If we don't really take action now, we will have really, really bad consequences in not that distant future. So if your company is doing something that even you are incredibly well prepared with huge amounts of capital, whatever you want, but if you're not on that direction, and especially if you're going against that direction, it will be very difficult to succeed. There are other trends now that are emerging that we are seeing that the society is reacting to different events. We are seeing the big push for equality that is happening after the events that happened in the United States. We saw the events that happened a few years ago with the whole movement of Me Too, responding to some abuses that happened in certain industry in the United States. Those are reactions that were probably overdue in time that are now emerging. And those are only some examples of things that are basically trying to put right some situation that was wrong before. No? And I think also, again, you have to look at ventures that support those trends and are aligned with those different trends. And those are only a few examples, but you have to basically look at the world around you and see where things are going and then try to adapt your venture or your business to be aligned and to be in favor of those trends that are really relevant. Like I say, for me, the really essential one, because it's one that where we really play with our survival, is climate action and sustainability. But there are other many, you know, causes or trends, to call them. Also, uh, the word cause, it's a valid one, that will basically give you the main directions or guidelines where you should be pointing your action towards. So that's what I would advise entrepreneurs today, to really be aware of the world we live in and the direction the world is going. And you touched, Alejandro, on some of the future trends. And as you know, a lot of the research that our next generation team has shown is that many of the measures coming out of COVID have become a real catalyst for change, in fact, particularly when it comes to future mobility. And I guess car makers in particular will be in the midst of you know real expansion in terms of their electrification, which probably driven much through the sort of testbed of innovation that was and is Formula E. What's your view on future mobility in cities in particular outside of sports? And how do you see that impacting our lives? Mobility definitely is going to be one of the drivers that is going to change earlier. Because the change in mobility has started already years ago with electrification. It's a slow process. There's huge amounts of capital that is to be invested. Now, of course, not talking about motorsport, but about the main motor industry. Factories need to be rebuilt and transformed in factories that can produce electric cars. Car sharing is going to become, of course, another element of that. Because, again, we have to put everything on the light of the sustainability, let's call it trend or cause, you need basically less use of the materials, less use of energy. You need more efficiency generally in how you use the assets that we have for mobility, which are the electric cars, the bikes, the micro-mobility, the scooters, anything. And for that, you will have to share, which is, is going to be one of the key elements of the future. You will have to have fleets. Driverless technology is going to play a huge role on fleets because it's going to allow to manage the fleets in a, in a lot more efficient way. And all these things combined is really a revolution. But the revolution that we are in the middle of is not a revolution that we are preparing for. That revolution of mobility is happening as we speak. And already this year, you could see how many more electric cars went into the market. And the sales of electric cars for the first time are really starting to show that, you know, the adoption is happening and it will happen faster and faster. 
and Formula E becomes a platform for that. And that was the objective, to have a platform that can accelerate that change and that can help improve the technology. And we saw also that the batteries you know, that Formula E uses have multiplied by two their capacity and even more because the performance is higher. So those are examples of the role that something like Formula E can play in this revolution of mobility that is happening today. And do you think there's more to be done by governments in terms of stimulus and intervention to drive that demand for electric vehicles on our roads? Yeah, absolutely. Government has a really, really important role to play. And, you know, in general, we have an ideology against the, you know, excessive intervention of government. But here, definitely, government has a role to play. City governments have a big role to play, and sometimes it's disappointing to see how they shut the cities down to traffic completely. I think that's a mistake. I think you have to promote electric mobility and allow electric cars to go into the cities and do not allow combustion cars to go into the cities. Because, you know, mobility, it's a necessity. If you eliminate mobility, you create huge problems around the area where you don't allow any car. And a huge amount of combustion cars just basically go around and around and try to, you know, park as close as possible. If you don't solve the problem, the problem of traffic is not the problem we need to deal with. The problem we need to deal with is the problem of pollution. So the right way is just to allow electric cars into cities. So I think, I think politics has a really important role to play, and that's only one example. I want to touch on autonomous driving, Alejandro. I was listening to a debate recently, which actually scared a number of people in terms of how this would affect lives, not just assisted driving, but really having a vehicle which drives for you and allows you to do other things whilst you're in the pod or the vehicle or whatever it will be called. It seems up to now to be somewhat of a wild card in terms of a genuine piece of technology. But how do you see it? Do you see that coming alongside us much sooner than we think? Well, it depends on which level of autonomy you are talking about. Obviously, level two is over here. Level three is going to be here quite soon. But if you're talking to level five autonomy, which is basically a car that goes from your driveway to your office parking on its own, that's still a little bit away. If you are talking of a car that you take it to the highway and then you have five hours of highway and during those five hours you can relax, that's coming almost now. That will be here next year or the year after. Of course, that's a big change, but sadly, it's not the one that goes from your home to your office. No, that's not happening imminently, which is a bit in a way because that would really change, for example, the use of fleets. If you have a fleet of 100 cars, you put them where people sleep, they wake up, they take that, and they go to the office. But then that car can drive on its own back to where the people sleep again and then take more people. That increases the efficiency and the use of those cars exponentially. But I don't see that happening right now. Well, I don't see that happening right now, no, myself. I have been speaking with a lot of engineers that are developing these systems. I was in driverless cars. I was in a highway in a driverless car behind the wheel, and it was an amazing experience, and that's over a year ago. So, yeah, so driverless is here, obviously, but from your home to your office, not yet. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear the US and the UK almost leading the research on this autonomous driving, where exactly, as you say, highway driving for many hours can be replaced by an automatic vehicle, which allows you to do other things. will take some time, I think, in terms of getting the consumers in the right mindset for that, but interesting nonetheless. It doesn't take that long. So the first time I was behind the wheel of a driverless car, it took me about 90 seconds to forget that the car was driving on its own. And then at the first 90 seconds, I was pretty stressed. And I was looking at the cars left and right and the tracks and so on. After 90 seconds, I started looking at my phone. After three minutes, I was reading a newspaper. And then, yeah, so it's faster than you would think. Fascinating. I mean, it's incredible how that technology can change behaviors in such a short space of time. It's incredible. Alejandro, can we just jump to, I mean, your business, Formula E in particular, and where's the next step for Formula E? I mean, I think 
know, there are points at which the viability of Formula E as a series might have been questioned in the past. And I've read from you before the business being at breaking point in the early days of its development with you having to fund you know, huge amounts of costs yourself to transport vehicles and make sure that venues were up and running. Now you're through that and you know, you're enjoying the fruits of many years of hard work, innovation. Where does Formula E go next in terms of the next level? What's the future look like for Formula E? Well, I think Formula E uh, obviously has to continue improving the technology and showing to the public that electric cars are the best option for them and for the mobility. So I think the next big technology challenge for us is ultra-fast charging. I think Formula E has a role to play at showcasing that technology, and I think we will do that soon. That will also increase the performance of the race cars, and it will continue to have an even more exciting show. And then that will take Formula E to the next level. So we're looking at a new generation of cars in two years that we have a completely different level of the cars we have today, so we keep improving the technology. And I think the future for Formula E is to become the main motorsport in the world because it's the one that will be linked to the industry. And I don't know how many years that will take, but you know, when, once all the cars in the streets are electric, Formula E becomes the most relevant championship out there. So that's where I see the future going. Do you see yourself collaborating with some of the traditional motorsports, whether that's four-wheeled or two-wheeled or whatever? Do you see yourself working with some of the more traditional players? Well, it could be, definitely could be. I mean, you know, obviously we have, and I have the biggest admiration for Formula One. I've been a huge fan of Formula One for years and years. And nobody will have the history that Formula One has. So maybe there is a potential for a cooperation there in the future. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe not even I will be here. I don't know. But but could see definitely that happening. I don't know. The future will tell. I've also some reports of off-road esports, Alejandro. Is that still in your mind as a potential next stage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my next project now. I, I'm pushing this project called Extreme E, which is electric SUVs. And I think that has an incredible role to play because it's going to take these SUVs to the most damaged areas in the planet that have been suffering the impact of climate change and the impact of you know global pollution, for example, in the oceans. So we're going to take these cars to the Arctic, to a place where there was ice and now there's no more ice. We're going to take it to the rainforest in the Amazon, where there was forest and now there's no more forest in that location. We take it to Senegal, to the beach in near Dakar that you know, used to be completely clean and now it's full of plastics, and so on and so forth. So that's the role for our electric SUV championship, and I think definitely there is a role for that. More than the technology development, which will happen probably in Formula E, that's the awareness work that SUVs in very remote locations can have. It strikes me, Alejandro, and I speak to a number of entrepreneurs and business owners, that those who are very successful time and time again on a serial basis are so often ahead of their time and ahead of the game, if you like. Do you consciously want to stay ahead? Do you consciously drive that innovation or do you see gaps? How do you stay ahead of the game in terms of you know a business that has already been very very successful but as you know clearly some way to go how do you keep ahead well like i was saying before i think the key is to understand where the world is going and by this you can understand it you know you have information everywhere now with of course with the technology we have so you basically read the newspapers or go to the websites or see what's going on with the global events and that tells you where the world is moving towards and also you can see it's interesting to see how the different generations have the different priorities. So obviously, you can even put a factor to the importance of a generation. If you're over 50 or 60, your opinions count a lot less for the future than if you're 20. Because if you're 20, you're going to be a long more time around. So I think you really have to look at what the people that are 20, 15-year-old, 20-year-old, 25-year-old, 30-year-old care for, because that's where the future is going. Because I'm not going to be here for another 50 years, but they are. 
well, unless they discover some strange medicine that can keep me going, but, you know. So I think, you know, just basically kind of look at where, try to guess or try to anticipate where the world is going and then create ventures that are going on that direction. And just coming back to present day, COVID will have placed a huge challenge on the ability for spectators of Formula E, I guess, to enjoy the charm of sort of city-based venue setup. How are you tackling that now? The business, I'm sure, will be adapting to different types of venues and circuits, but be interested to hear how Formula is adapting in this sort of post-COVID environment, particularly when it comes to spectators who want to enjoy the closeness that you can get from a street circuit or the interactiveness that you can have with drivers and cars. Andrew, give us an insight into that if you can. Also for uh, Formula E and the city racing, COVID obviously it's a very relevant problem because we are not going to be able to organize our usual event inside the cities until COVID is, is uh, basically controlled in one way or another. Either has disappeared or we have a vaccine. or So that's a big challenge. So what we did on season six, which is basically the season of COVID so far, let's hope that season seven is not, it's that we canceled half of the races and basically we came to one venue. We had a really efficient COVID control system. Out of 1,400 people that arrived in Berlin for the six races, only two tested positive. I was one of them, sadly. So we had to stay in our hotel rooms for the whole period. But everyone else went to the track, remained in bubbles, was controlled every three or four days, and it was very, very efficiently managed, and we could do the six races without any problem. But we cannot go on doing this forever. First, because the races without public are a lot more boring. You don't have the atmosphere. You don't have, it's like football now, you know, okay? People are watching it on TV, and of course, we watch the Champions League final, but it won't be the same. So we, you know, we basically are in a survival mode, trying to do the best we can, I think, like every other sport, and just waiting for the storm to pass. I guess you draw analogies in the current situation to some of the feedback that you would have had at the start when, despite its current day success of Formula E, there would have been a few distractors, I'm sure. And you know, I've read famously a quote from Bernie Eccleston who said that, you know, you're never going to make your first race. Firstly, how did that make you feel, I guess, given he's a friend and a close business associate? But how did that make you feel? And how do you take that feedback, Alejandro, to make sure that it doesn't deter you from making a success of the business? Well, I have to say, when he told me that, it did worry me a little bit. <laughs> because, you know, I respect him very much in his opinion. And I thought, well, well, maybe he's got a point. I said, I hope not. I hope I can prove that wrong. But definitely he had a lot of elements and he knew a lot of things that I didn't know at the time that were really difficult and that almost burned down but luckily they didn't so he also told me he was happy he had been wrong and I had been right so after we had the first race so you know it's not that he meant bad but you know he knew a lot how difficult it was especially to organize races in cities in the streets it's very complicated so yeah he was almost warning me but luckily we succeeded and uh, we did have the first race and we had I think over 70 or 80 races now yeah and finally, Alejandro, you know, we at Julius Bear have a growing entrepreneurial network. And I think that's very much been part of your life as a business owner and an innovator for many years. Our entrepreneur network is valuable to the extent that it really connects like-minded business owners to help them collaborate, to challenge each other, and to know that there's actually similar people facing similar challenges. How have you used your entrepreneurial network Alejandro, to help you and how important a value do you place on having that group around you to help? Well, of course, the network is, I mean, of course, it can be a huge help when you're setting up a business. Well, I always say the same thing. The important thing of your network or imagine that all the numbers you have on your phone is not how many numbers or which number you have, but what the people on the other side of the phone think of you. 
what's their opinion of you? Because, you know, if, if you call a guy and that guy thinks that you're a super fun guy to go for a party, well, that's good. You can go for a party with that guy. But that guy will not invest in your venture. If you call a guy and that guy thinks that you're a very serious guy for business that can, you know, have a good idea and can execute and so on and so on, he may want to invest in your business. So it's all about network, but it's also about what your network thinks you can do. And that comes only after many years of demonstrating and of keeping your word, especially keeping your word is, I think, is essential for people to trust you. And then from there, then you can have a network that then can materialize in something concrete. Yeah. Alejandro, it's been fascinating speaking with you. Thank you very much for your time. I've really enjoyed catching up and hearing your insights and thoughts, not only for current day, but certainly for what we need to be thinking about in the future. I really look forward to hopefully speaking next time. So thank you. That's all for this edition of Julius Baer's True Connections podcast. Thank you for listening. And please do keep in touch with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and at juliusbear.com. Bear.com.